The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Kev, um, this is like Back to the Future, Future the Back or, or whatever, because by the time this programme goes out, we'll, we'll know whether you found the stuff or not. But I remember actually about three or four months ago, you said, I can't find any of my cameras or my memory cards or my batteries. or uh, And, and th- it's come true, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, here we are. Uh, dear listener, today's Friday. Let's just let the cat out the bag here. This is Monday's show. So we don't know anything about the football. Probably best not mention it. But we, we do know that Kev can't find his memory cards. No, normal batteries. <laughs> and, and I can only find one of my X Pro 2s. What? You can't lose a whole camera. Oh, I've lost loads of cameras. I don't, uh, they're here somewhere, but I have no idea Maybe where. Let me just have a look, Kev, because it might be next to your 35mm, of course, in this cupboard. <laughs> it could be, yeah. Did, you, did I borrow it to you at any point? Did oh, I lend look, it to X, you? Where did I get that X Pro 2 from? <laughs> I've got so the memory cards I I bought over yeah. the last like two or three years I bought a whole load of UHS two cards yeah, three hundred oh, nice ones megabytes a second yeah and I've got one what I found one uh, I found loads of my old ninety five megabyte per second UHS one cards oh they're quite good cards anyway oh they're fine to use yeah. there's hundreds of them yeah thirty two gig ones but yeah. what I like to do is just stick I got I bought six 128 gig UHS two cards. So I like to just stick two cards in each camera and then mm. never worry about changing cards again. But I found one 32 oh. gig UHS two card. I don't know where the rest are. Do you know what you... Batteries, I've found yeah. four. Uh, well, okay. You need a bit more than four. Uh, well, four is usually enough, I have to say. But I do yeah. always take a lot more than that. Yeah. And I know I've got nine of the of the newer type batteries, MPS, whatever they're called. What have you been doing with this stuff during this time? I mean, you should have found all this stuff when you moved offices. Yeah, I know. I I really don't know. It is quite baffling because I thought I'd tidied up nicely. Well, you Uh, obviously do tidied it up too well and they all met Uncle Biffer. (laughs) (laughs) They got Biffered. Uh, I wonder, yeah, they might have gone in the tip. You know what? This is the problem, you see. You know what you need in your life, Kev? More boxes. The Fujicast. If you have more boxes, you will be able to put things in those boxes, and then you think, I know where they are. They're in the box. I'll look over there. No boxes. Yeah, well, that's what you need. Uh, For those that are thinking, what about boxes? You haven't heard about the box gate. We haven't had a box gate question for a couple of weeks. He says, hint, hint. Right, welcome to the Fujicast, you and your questions from our electronic mailbag and of course also through the Fujicast private Facebook group that you're welcome to become a part of. If you'd like to send it old-fashioned style, send to click at fujicast.co.uk. If you don't shoot Fujifilm, don't worry, it's a big old community and whatever flavour you shoot, you're very, very welcome. Thank you to our friends who support us on Patreon, which for the price of a cup of coffee keeps the show growing. Kev's book of the week this week. What do we have, Kev? Hang on. <laughs> Each week it gets bigger. It gets bigger. <laughs> what, have, what have you got? Uh, actually, this week I've got an amazing book. Absolutely yeah. beautiful book. But they're all amazing. Um, but Bernard Parkin, Royal Racing Photographer in the Shadow of Cleve Hill. It's actually an autobiography, but... Uh, it's uh, it's amazing, uh, incredible. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Right. Um, Royal Racer, did you say? Royal... Royal Racing Photographer. Royal Racing Photographer. Well, that's a niche. By appointment to the Queen. That's within. That's a niche within a niche. Yeah. Within a niche. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's yeah. Absolutely wonderful. That's, the, that's the book of the week. And, um, of course, we have a guest. And, uh, and today that guest is going to be Dennis Lee. It's poetic, almost. It's uh, one of our Friends of the Show interviews, which uh, actually comes from a conversation I had with him a year ago about the way photojournalism in the days of film worked. 
It's a, it's a good one, actually, as we, we talked a, a little now and then about capturing the world in film, particularly during the, the Book of the Week bits. Right. Questions. Um, oh, you've done well with the emails this week. Thank you for some of the questions that you've sent in via click at fujicast.co.uk. I think... I think uh, you were okay with um, with a few more Facebook questions this week as well, weren't you? We did get a few, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah all good. You right. can go first, though, because uh, I always go first. There is one here. It's sound. Um, okay, that's all right. No, it can be sound. Uh, Johan Boarhead. Um, it's it's more sort of aimed at me, this one, but I'd love to hear about what audio stuff you use for Fujicast and Photography Daily. Microphones, recorders, mixers, all that sort of stuff. Are you using a board for the sound effects? How much post-production do you do? Are you cutting the audio for a better flow? Actually, Kev, you can join in with this because I mean, you you did um, you you cut the Fuji cast yourself the other week, didn't you? When you did the uh, the, ep- the solo episode, well, it's not really solo. It was with Gemma, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, what what did you use? I used the great big massive mess it up method. <laughs> I've not seen that one. Is there a book on that? <laughs> yeah uh no we recorded it directly into um audition yeah and just yeah chopped it up and stuff but via your mixing desk which you've oh got. yes sorry yeah so i've got one of those uh road it doesn't say on it what it is actually it just says class a servo biased so it's preamp a, it's a it's a roadcaster isn't it oh yeah roadcaster pro or is it the road podcaster oh, it's the mixing desk anyway. i think it's called the roadcaster yeah, yeah. It's very good. Roadcaster Pro, yeah. that's it. I've got one myself, and it is very good. It's got, is it six channels? I haven't looked at it for ages, because well, we only ever used it for outside broadcasts, and we've ever done precious little of those. Well, it's got four, you can do four um, XLRs four in. Four mics, yeah. You've got USB, USB and then a Bluetooth channel, yep. and then a phone channel, oh, and so then the, you've got yeah, the um, jingle channel. Jingle channel, and that's your soundboard, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's it's yeah. I, I use it for the radio show. It's brilliant for that, absolutely brilliant. Sounds mm. like Johan might be planning to do a podcast. We could be in We could be in trouble. Microphone-wise, what do you have? Because you, you've got some nice Shure mics there, haven't you? S-H-U-R-E. I have got, yeah. So the one I'm currently using is the USB one, which is the Shure. Uh, hang on. Why do they never put the name of things on the things? <laughs> so you have to go to a box, Kev. And that's going to be useless. MV7. MV7, that's it, because you don't have a box. MV7. But the one I normally use for the radio and stuff is yeah. the... SM7B. That's right. Yeah. Which is nicer. Yeah. That's much nicer. Very warm. Very nice warm microphone. But you have to lift it with um, a preamp yeah. um, cloud lifter. I've um, got a cloud I've got a cloud lifter, a little yeah. blue box. Yeah. yeah. So there we go. And then stick yourself somewhere next to a curtain or some sound. sound. It's very rare that you can actually soundproof a room. So just mm. sound dampen a room, and that's usually enough because those Shure microphones are, very, are quite close working microphones, aren't they? So you don't tend yeah. to hear a lot of what's in the background. No, you need to be right on top of them, definitely, yeah. Yeah. and which is a good thing, you know, yeah. for that kind of stuff. Um, so but go. yeah, I, I I feel like I you know sound wise in my room. It's a big room, but the people who had it before me did put same boards up, so you know it's fine. Mm. Then the room next door, which is the other side of the studio, there's no same boards up, and it sounds like you know if you click your fingers or anything, you can hear it reverberating for like ten minutes. <laughs> so I use a slightly different mixer to Kev. It's a Sonifex called a Sonifex S1, which is a a broadcast radio broadcast mixer, and the soundboard that I use is a system called Myriad, which they use in. In, well, it, do, it does the same thing, really, as what you're using, Kev. I mean, you, you press a button and you get a gemmer. There we go. Easy as. Or, or you get something that Kev's most used to hearing. There we go. <laughs> 
Uh, I think, does that answer his question? Recorders? Oh, recorders, yeah, I use the same as you, so it goes into Audition. Uh, there's the soundboard and post-production, yeah, it's edited in Audition. And yes, we do cut it. I don't think people realise how much editing goes into this this show because sometimes you sort of you get noises with the mouth, you get noises off the mic. Sometimes uh, I leave a lot of breaths in, but sometimes they they get sucked up within the compression, so they're dampened. And it's a bit like spotting an old um, uh, an old print. You don't, you wouldn't put a print out without spotting it, would you? And, and in mm. some respects, you do a similar kind of thing with sound. So there we go, Johan, and we look forward to hearing your podcast. I wonder what it'd be called. Warheadcast. Yeah. Johancast. <laughs> it could be, I don't know. Right, yours. Oh, yeah. Uh, mine. <laughs> right. Uh, sorry, I was just looking at the uh, Sonifex FS1 on the internet. Were you? Um, what, what did you find? Did you like it? Uh, I found a picture of this very, very scary-looking thing. <laughs> yeah. With lots of dials and buttons and sliders. Well, it's, no and stuff. Di- it's no different, really. I mean, it does the same thing as as yours does. There's a few more buttons on it. I'll grant you that, but it does it does practically the same. You can program this to uh, to an inch of its life as well. All sorts of the clever things you can do with it. Clever things that my sound engineer knows about. But I know nothing. Right. Questions from the Facebook group. Mm. So this is from Graham Harris, mm. Harry's, and he says, lately the word of the moment on Photography Daily has been urbex. Oh yeah. Uh, we know that Neil is tempted, but what's Kev's thoughts? Urbex. Uh, don't be a lightweight, Kev. I'm more than happy to show you a few sites <laughs> if you are tempted. I'm not talking Chernobyl, unless you want to be there, that is. Yeah. Uh, well, we but some really about, interesting yeah. locations in West Wales. Urbe- I always thought Urbex was like photographing models in, in latex. Isn't that what that was called? <laughs> no, it's urban exploration, Kev. Oh. Yeah, Urbex, urban exploration. I don't know what you're thinking of. Well, I know what you're thinking of, but that's not it. <laughs> Isn't what <laughs> he used to photograph urbex? All he used to call it urbex. I'm sure he did. No, you. Yeah, no, it's not it. And don't get me in trouble trying to bleep people's names out. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm sure of it. I'm typing it in now. Uh, uh, no, don't say the name. Urbex is urban exploration, and it's not just for photographers. It's for people that like to just v- visit old places that are going to rack and ruin. There's a whole organisation you can join in this country and people join in and, and, and say, Look, I've been here, it's a bit dangerous, watch out for the ceiling. This one you get somebody runs out and says, can't come in here, mate. That kind of thing. And, and of course, now it's become a very fashionable thing to do photographically, isn't it? Go and photograph places that, you know, feel and look a bit haunted, a bit frightening to go in on your own. I think it was the name of one of Dan's models was called Urbex. Was it? That's what I was thinking Inter- of. Interesting name. I think. Well, uh, so what do you think of... Uh, I mean, you know what urban exploration is. You've seen the photographs, Kev. What do you think? Well, I do know, yeah. And it's what Jay, Jay's been doing it for years, hasn't he? Jay Farrell yeah. published books and all oh, sorts very of good at, Yeah, he's very good at it, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, though, it's not particularly anything that floats my boat, no. I, I have to say. Um, what about not the, that I don't appreciate the people that do it, and, no. and I do find the pictures interesting. I wouldn't want to trespass, that's for sure. I wouldn't want to go somewhere where you're not meant to go. No. And and I know a lot of this stuff is. I'm not saying that everybody does it illegally, but a lot of it is, isn't it? It's in, like, old hospitals and things like that that have been it condemned. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean... Chernobyl? Yeah. Well, Chernobyl... I mean, we talk, we didn't we talk about Chernobyl once? Yeah, well, you can go to Chernobyl, can't you? Yeah. On, on, I, know, um, I know it's kind of been done, but it's, it's still intriguing. Yeah, I, I think... Yeah, absolutely, it's intriguing. The story of it is intriguing, yeah. and yeah, absolutely, but I'm not going into an old derelict hospital and taking pictures of chairs in the corner. It's not my ambition, I have to say. No. 
but like I said, you know, people people do like that kind of stuff, and, I tell, and that's, that's yeah. Fine. I tell you what interests me the um, the old uh, they call them ghost railway stations, and there's quite a few on the London Underground, aren't there? Yeah, stations that are no longer used. Some of them, yeah. are, some of them have been converted. Uh, I say converted, or, or rather, sort of cleaned up again to be film sets, haven't they? Some of them have, and also there's that underground tram station that, yeah. they, that Ooh, they use yeah. a lot as well. Yeah. Um, can't remember where that is now, but that's that's somewhere. There's an, a tram station. You can still see the tracks that go underground. Yeah. and it's caged off. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, it, it, I do find that interesting. I do honestly, I do find all of these things interesting. It's history. It's just I'm not necessarily interested in pictures of it. Mm. I'm, I'm interested in the stories behind it. So you're not likely to get Kev out there doing urbex soon. No, no. I, I think it's quite fascinating. I, I would be interested. I don't think it's going to become a photographic passion of mine by by any uh, means. But I, I went into the... Um, have we been walking up at uh, Greenham Common together, Kev? I'm not sure whether we ever have. No, I have not been up there with you. The airbase. It's a fascinating place, the airbase. I mean, it's, it's a decommissioned airbase now, but there's still some wired-off sections of it that I don't think people will ever be able to go into. And one of those are the, the old missile silos, which mm. are which are uh, reasonably well-protected now by, by wires and double layers and stuff like that. Maybe it's razor at the top, I don't know. But but um, I remember when it wasn't so protected in the early days, I got in and, and looked around the silos, and it was, it was truly spooky. And uh, so I, I get the fascination because there was this kind of rush of adrenaline as I was looking around. Mm. Um, but it was it was odd to be in a place and you just don't know who's who's around the corner, Kev. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I am fascinated by those kind of secret places. Yeah. Um, definitely. I like the stories, um, but it's not something I would necessarily want to go and photograph, I have no. to say. Although I probably would take pictures if I was there. Yeah. But then I wouldn't trespass. No. That's the thing. No. Um, complicated I've, I've made that really boring didn't I no, well it could have been so much more interesting but <laughs> <laughs> let's let's see if we can tempt you with this one hi Kev hi Neil with all this talk of Covid safe events and many people allowed to attend a certain football final we shall not mention well actually this was written in before and, and of course we're not we're not mentioning the football <laughs> I, want, I wonder if you're planning a special event for your 200th episode that isn't so far away if thousands of UEFA VIPs and even more thousands of bare-chested football supporters can attend a football match reasonably unchecked, well, no, it's not quite fair, because apparently they were all checked. I'm sure if we all behave ourselves, took our test, came up with a jab certificate and pleasing batch numbers <laughs> and wore appropriately bright yellow hazmat suits, uh, we could have an event. I know it might be tricky. And actually, I'm in Guernsey, so I'd be watching from a socially distance 200 miles away anyway. But come on, chaps, what are you planning? Peter Whiteside. What what episode are we at? Well, we're one eight. Well, where are we? One eight. Is this one eight nine today? Let me just check that, Kev. While you think about the answer. Yeah. One, yes. One eight nine. One eight nine. That's what we're on today. So that's eleven weeks. Yes. So we have eleven weeks till our two hundredth. What? I'm going to look at the calendar. Aren't we taking uh, any time off in August? Hang on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Nine, ten. So that makes it the twentieth of September. Right. Will be our eleventh, our two hundredth episode. Right. Uh, now that rings a bell. Twentieth of September. So now I'm going to look at my diary. Are you out that day? Up until recently, has <laughs> just said nothing. <laughs> your uh, ah, funny enough, Monday the twentieth of September, I have a wedding. However, do you? It's also TPS weekend. Is it? The photography show. Okay. So there you go. I will be at the photography show on the 18th and 19th. 
and then I have a wedding in uh, East London on the 20th. But maybe, maybe... We can't maybe do anything that. We can't could do, do some kind of uh, get-together oh. at TPS, perhaps. Well, maybe. I've if got, you're around. Well, I've got three in a row that week. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, this, that, this is the problem with, uh, with COVID. It's given us all two, three, four in a row wedding weeks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I only have one wedding that week, but it's on a Monday. Oh, dear. Um, well, I mean, we haven't really talked about it, have we? Um, no, we will. I tell you what we will do. We'll think as soon as the, as soon as, um, you know, we need to know more. Is, we need to released, know. Yes. Yeah. We'll plan something. Yeah. We will do something. And more, more than likely it will be at the House of Photography. Hopefully. Yeah. Or, I think so. I think, that, I think that seems the most appropriate place for it because that's where the last one was. And that was a good night, wasn't it? Yeah, and then when everything is is properly up and running and, and everybody's free to do whatever they want and, you know, they stop all of the stuff that's going on, then we will plan our, yeah. our big thing. So shall we say 200 will come and we'll blow some um, some party poppers or something or let some party poppers off and blow some... whatever those things are called. Um, and, and, and then we'll have the proper party later on. Yeah. How about that? There we yeah. go. Because we are thinking about something for next year, which I know we've we've teased you with but can't say anything about just yet. That might be the most appropriate time. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're doing well with this, Kev. <laughs> I don't think we've answered anything this week. No. Correctly. I know. Right. Question. We're, we're very good politicians. We did a lot, a lot about politics last week, which a few people recognised. <laughs> go on. Uh, right. Next question from the Facebook group. I am going to go up to. I'm going to go to Seaford for no other oh. reason than he. I saw him yesterday. He's a good chap. Is a good chap. Um, Steve Ford. Hello, chappies. Talking to chaps. Uh, <laughs> question on the differences between zooms and primes. Now, I know a zoom allows you to get closer or further away without moving your feet. Uh, and primes are generally faster with a larger aperture, etc. But is there any other differences, like the quality of the glass, faster to focus, or other technical differences that are not commonly known using the XF range as a discussion point? Thanks, heaps. Yeah. Steve. Well, I think in some cases, the glass is, uh, you know, kind of... I don't necessarily think they use different quality glass, for example. I know that um, Fujifilm use particular water from particular lakes and things like that. I think that that's specific across all of their, their lenses. Whether the different the amount of elements inside the lens is going to make a difference, uh, that's for sure. Typically, they're going to be quicker to focus, I think, depending on the... Mo dep well, it depends a little bit on the zoom uh, mechanism inside. If it's linear or... Um, you know mechanical focusing or zoom in i should say yeah. you know I, honestly with modern zooms and primes it's probably very hard to tell a difference in terms of the fact that one can allow you to extend and come back and typically the primes are going to be faster in terms of aperture i probably don't think with modern ones there's too much more difference um you know in the in the, in the quality in the old days i think probably that was different but now yeah i i really don't know uh, I it doubt not, it. I it mean, not, the zoom lenses I have, the yeah. Fujifilm zoom lenses, are equally well built. Yeah. They focus just as quick, as far as I can tell. You know, they're just, they usually, you know, the apertures aren't quite as fast. No. They're bigger, generally, of course. Uh, and that's it, really. 18 to 55 is my favourite zoom. That one's a proper little. It is 18 55, isn't it? That one. I've got. Uh, Six, uh, 16. No, 18 to 55. It's sat on me XH1 now, so it is. But if you, if you, I suppose it all comes down to preference, doesn't it, for you? I mean, you, you, you prefer being a prime shooter, don't you? Yeah, I never use zooms for no. stills, but I use them a lot for filming. Yeah. Okay, um, Kev, Neil, both of you have largely learned your craft by, uh, by your own doing. In other words, you didn't attend college to learn to be a photographer. Has that been a bonus to you? 
Or what do you think you might have gained by taking a more formal education? Perhaps because you swapped careers a little later in life. What, you're calling us old? This is why you decided education wouldn't work or be possible. Yeah, we'd be bullied in the uh, in the common room, wouldn't we, Kev? Look at those two old fogies coming through. I'm thinking of making a leap, a leap from amateur to paid photographer. And like you, I have a family uh, with one child right now. But unlike you both, I have the very fortunate opportunity to take up to two years off while I go about changing direction. If it helps, I'm 32. Uh, I've been photographing for six years and now seriously hope to make a living out of shooting portraits. All the best, Jeremy Paget. Well, that's nice, isn't it, to have two years to, to make that transition? Mm, wonderful. I mean, if, you, if you'd had that opportunity, Kev, to, to make the transition and you hadn't come home and announced to Gemma, right, I'm giving up my three zillion pounds per year job and I'm going to become a wedding photographer, w- would it have made a difference to uh, do you, in any way? to to, Or would you have said, no, I don't want to spend two years learning it i want to get on with it i don't know it's a tough one because i i often find some people that i come across who have been uh classically educated let's say i feel like sometimes they find it hard to you know to 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 just let themselves go and and create pictures with with emotion and stuff Uh, it's more about the settings and you know it's got to be perfect and all of that kind of stuff only some of them i have to say there are plenty of people who also are not like that, who have been classically trained. Do you think maybe the hunger isn't there so much? I, it's impossible to say, isn't it? Because we don't know. Hindsight is, is you know, it, it, it's a thing that we just don't understand. And uh, if we'd gone to university or college and, and did a degree in photography, would we would we have shot more weddings? Would we have earned more money? Who knows? Mm. Nobody knows. Mm. Um, I would like to have done art history, I have to say. I quite like the idea of that, but not because I think it would make me better but because I'm interested in it. So, yeah, I if, I mean, how many people go to university and end up doing the job that they're trained in in university? How many people don't mm. go to university and end up doing a far better job than people who have been to university? Kev says, don't go to university. No, no, I'm not saying that at all. I mean, I'm just saying, uh, you know, I'm glad I went to university, but yeah. I'm doing absolutely zero to do with what I went to university with now. But it's a rounding of life, isn't it? It's a life experience. Yeah, I suppose there were some experiences. <laughs> when I talked to Sam about it, yeah, she says, yeah, it was a lot of experience. Yeah. A, a lot of life, not so much studying. Yeah. Sometimes. I don't know. I mean, I didn't go to university. I did do an MVQ in photography. There you go. And that was at night school. And I, I tell you what, I, I really did enjoy the discussions that we had. I, I was quite lucky to have um, a tutor that was, uh, I don't think he was a prof- uh, had been a professional photographer. He was a good tutor, though, actually. Um, and he he was quite technical, yes. Um, so I glazed over at times because, you know, I'm not so tech. I'm more about the emotion. But I have to say the discussions we had about photographers' works, that was perhaps the most enjoyable part of that course. Yeah, which is, that's the history of stuff, isn't it? Yeah, that's what yeah. I like, yeah. Yeah, and he used to take us to, uh, well, I think we went on three or four field trips where it was always to an exhibition and we'd go look at the exhibition. Then in the afternoon, we'd all meet up again and discuss it. That was great. I love that. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, yeah, it's six one and a half dozen other than You know, if we had gone to university or, you know, a full kind of four-year university degree in photography, would we be doing something different? Who knows? You just yeah. don't know. I'm not, not, but I'm, like I say, not many people... Yeah. Yeah. follow on from what they did in university it's quite a low number the interesting thing there's some great photography courses around and i've talked to people about uh, everything from university through to night schools through to through to workshops that you can do as well but there's it's very rare that uh, particularly with the formal education stuff 
and I think this is a trick missed that they that they teach the 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 brass tacks of actually getting out there and earning money out of it and I think that's that's mainly because the people that teach it haven't actually had to go through what I think is quite a I know it is a competitive industry uh, they they haven't had to you know make their money from being just a, a wedding or a social photographer or an editorial photographer or whatever you go into would that be fair do you think Kev? yeah I guess so in some cases you know they used to I remember when I was in university and I I I was in university in Bournemouth, and when I applied to university, it was uh, Dorset Institute, no, Poole Institute of Agriculture. That's what I applied to, believe it or not. And then by the time I'd done my A-levels, it, it had changed its name to Dorset Institute of Higher Education. You could have ended up a farmer, almost. By the time that I started it, it was Bournemouth Polytechnic. Right. <laughs> and by the time I'd finished, it changed its name to Bournemouth University. So I'd gone from Poole Institute of Agriculture. Oh, I know the one. To and now Bournemouth it's, University. And now it's a Ritzy's nightclub. <laughs> the Bournemouth University it's a good one. has probably the best... Yeah. Um, art, um, directing TV, yeah, uh, creative yeah, yeah. school in the country. Yeah. It probably does. You know, I think they've had something like six Oscars have been educated wow. there, or six people who have received Oscars have been educated there, mostly in the, the motion picture kind of department. And that was all being set up when I was there. I wasn't doing anything to do with that. I was doing kind of business and economics and all that kind of stuff. But they were setting all of that up at the time. And uh, that's that proves in some cases that people do go and it's it's very renowned for that now. They go in mostly for kind of TV and production stuff. And then they go off and make Oscars, hmm. get Oscars, win Oscars. Yeah, well, there receive we go. Oscars. With your... I'd like to thank my mum, <laughs> my dad and Neil. Oh, <laughs> With your workshops, I'm going to sort of draw it back to your workshops a bit. Do you, do you teach? You do teach business, don't you? You do discuss it, don't you? Yeah, I mean, most of my wedding PJ workshops are mostly there's no kind of camera technique or anything like that. So, do you think? So, do you think workshops sometimes might, might uh, could be a good direction for Jeremy to think? Oh, okay, I'll invest a bit in some workshops and uh, choose carefully. Obviously, Kev and then Kev, and then another one by Kev. But maybe that maybe that could be a direction. I don't want to sound like a Kev advert, but but you but you know what I mean by that. I'm being genuine here and saying there are a lot of workshops where I think you will get you know, some very very solid business advice because these people have have worked at the coalface and paid the mortgage from it. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. However, I do also think that sometimes people go for especially like the night school type training or education. Because it's, uh, you know, it's modular. It's also something to do. It's, it, you know, it's structured. Uh, it's a long-term thing. And, uh, you know, I think there's there's an interest in that. You know, I, 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 for example, I would, if I had the time, I would quite happily do a night school um, in something like art history. Yeah. You know, I, I, I would, you know, because I'm interested in it. I like, I'd like to learn that. Yes, the workshops, of course, there's lots of them out there. And, you know, you, there are some very good ones and there's probably some poor ones. I don't know. But the, my left, the chimp on my left shoulder is saying, come to my workshops, come to my workshops. And the chimp on my right shoulder is saying, no, go and do something long term. Enjoy yourself, you know, make yourself uh, a hobby out of it almost. You know, education can be fun. Never mind that animal. I'm going to bouquet chicken. Should be fun. Bouquet chicken. What do you think they should do? <coughs> yeah. Go to Kev's workshop. Well, you do workshops as well. Well, I, I do, but not as many as you. Um, you are you are the workshop king, isn't that right, Bouquet Chicken? 
Exactly. There we go. That's all you need to know. Well, I, I did my first one last week. First one in 18 months. Well, I know, but there has been a pandemic on, Kev. Don't be hard on yourself. Did it go well? It was good. Really nice bunch of people. Good. Righto, let's have a chat then with one of our friends of the show, Kev. Dennis Lee, whose website we will link to in the show notes. Dennis works on uh, a lot of um, well, heavy construction photographic projects these days, following on uh, in a life of making pictures, really, including... Um, much time in press photography and that's where we thought we'd take some inspiration working with film working in the dark room working to deadline Dennis Lee so Dennis what was it like to see your pictures in the paper every day it was exciting it was um, yeah it was it was it was exciting every day Uh, some days you would see a picture that you may not have been especially happy with and and it got bigger play than it probably should have that was always a little cringe worthy but for the most part it was great were you precious about subbies or picture editors starting to crop them in a way that you didn't want them to be cropped yeah that was that was a that was continuing battle we kind of worked with the layout staff very closely and got to the point where they kind of understood that we liked the pictures to be full frame and we shot full frame almost exclusively as as much as we possibly could meaning that we did not crop you know what we we tried to just fill our frames and we had our negative holders filed out so that when we made prints you know we would have that nice natural black border all the way around the outside that's the way ultimately that we presented our our pictures to the layout staff and a lot of the time i would say 90 85 90 of the time they would use that entire image and that was great the only exception to that was the sports department they they just had a different literally ball game going on over there and i don't know what it was but they would just crop the hell out of stuff man and it was <laughs> like it, 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 sometimes it was extremely frustrating a lot of times it was just you know sports shots basketball football things like you know baseball every day and um it was okay if they cropped that stuff but occasionally we would do a nice feature picture for them and when that would get cropped it would it would hurt so we're, talk, we're talking about a time as well where you would have developed the film and be printing as well, wouldn't you? Yeah, we did everything. Well, what was it like working with film every day? How, how, how much film did you shoot? What kind did you use? What, what, what did you carry with you? Yeah, we didn't have much choice. We, all we shot was Tri-X. Right. And uh, later on, when Kodak started coming out with new films, we, uh, we used uh, T-Max, 400 and then the uh, the t-max line had a, a, a film called tmz which had a iso 3200 base and that was great because that was a nice high iso speed film at its standard level and then you could push that to 64 you know maybe 128 with you know a, a couple of prayers to go with it but that was it was really great having that iso 3200 film it's interesting you talk about the prayers then because uh, I think this is something that uh, photographers now don't don't experience. They're not on a wing and a prayer. They're hoping their cards don't corrupt, but w- w- with the advent of, uh, of of twin card cameras, even that's not so much an issue now, is it? No, no, not at all. I mean, there was so much that could go wrong with film. You know, it's, it was the sort of thing where you'd go to a job and you'd be shooting away and just 
instinctively you would go to the the film rewind knob which every camera has mm. and you would check it to make sure it was tight because invariably the time that you don't check that rewind knob is the time that the film didn't catch properly mm. or you simply forgot to put a roll in the camera and you shoot an entire job you're walking out the door you, you put your hand on the rewind knob you start turning it and it's loose mm. you keep turning it and it's still loose and you <laughs> I've, I've heard people can we can we do one more picture <laughs> well I've, I've also heard people say that uh, uh really i mean every job's important but some people say the really really important jobs they were also sticking a bit of gaff tape on the on the on the back door so that it wouldn't open i never had to do that okay. i didn't have i didn't have a camera where that was a problem All right what what were the happy surprises well the happy surprises were when every you know first off when everything just worked out perfect you know when you're when you're your bounce flash lighting you know mixed with a backlight you know everything the balance worked and your picture was actually nice and sharp and you know there was a there was a little edge light which you had maybe seen and it came through on the film and just everything was clean uh that, you know just just technically when everything works out that's always that's always a happy thing but sometimes probably the most fun things with with film was you just would kind of wing it and sometimes you would shoot without looking through the camera because you needed to or just because I mean, you needed to because you, you couldn't physically like look through the camera for a particular angle that you needed or you know, something like that. So you would just do what we called a, a Hail Mary and you would you would either hold the camera up or you would hold it off to the side or, you know, because the subject was a little shy, you would just kind of surreptitiously get some shots you know, from down low, whatever. When those worked out, when you got a really fun shot doing that, it was always a, a, a very happy mm. surprise. You know, when, when focus hits and, and the framing is nice and interesting, that was always a lot of fun. And with, with film as well, whenever you loaded the camera, you had to advance a certain number of frames before you knew you had a clean frame to start working. And sometimes those early frames when you're just when you're just kind of clicking through to to get to number one, or in our case number three, you you would get some pretty fun shots. You would get interesting and and just and just kind of funny pictures of whatever's going on around you at the time. Take me through the layout of the photography department because it's changed very much now. I'm, I'm fascinated to learn about how it worked in those film days, which which isn't that long ago. It might might seem like it, but it really isn't. We had a we had a room for printing, and then we had a little room for film processing. And so the film processing took place in the regular white light. You would you would turn the lights off and and load your film onto steel reels. When I started out with the newspaper, we were developing in canisters, and by the time I finished, we had a machine called the Wing Lynch. We did it every day. Sometimes you did it a couple times a day, depending on you know when deadlines were hitting. I worked a night shift almost exclusively, and so my processing was almost always done at the end of the day. There was just so much that could go wrong, but we didn't have a lot of the beginner problems like you know crinkling film up on reels and mm. stuff like that. That's always a big issue for beginners. But we did have other issues, especially when we started using the automated system with temperature control. Typically, you want your film processing to happen around 68 or 70 degrees, but we had this machine that would get up to 90 degrees and sometimes higher. And so we had to, we had to really keep an eye on temperatures and kind of guesstimate what the best processing times were going to be 
it, in the early days, we really, really cooked a lot of film. We had a lot of problems. Mm. There was problems with plumbing in the system where in the wash cycle, we'd get this 120 degree water coming through and the film would reticulate. So it would actually crack and form these giant grain shapes, almost, almost, like, uh, almost like worms, these squiggly mm. things. Wow. And I lost a few really kind of fun pictures to that which was extremely disappointing uh but you know the other problem was that if you you know if you if if the if you process too long or too short because a lot of times iso 400 didn't work so we were bumping up to eight or 16 or maybe you'd have both on the same roll of film you hadn't planned too well and you know so you kind of just oh okay let's see i think i'm gonna push the developing on this like four more minutes or and again, it's a hope and a prayer, and then you pull it out, and sometimes it was very thin, sometimes it was very dark. <laughs> and then you went into the dark room, and you tried to save it there. And uh, the printing was actually a lot of fun, although very tiring, a lot of work. Some days when you had a lot of printing to do, it was it could get to be a little exhausting. I want to believe that there's a sort of a romantic notion of, of being in those either print rooms or you're, you're dealing with a film. or And, you know, it's, it's a kind of, it's almost like a jazz club. There's a sort of smoky kind of nature to the whole thing. I want to believe that that was true of the, the sort of the, the real newsrooms. Yeah, it was true. It was it was it was actually a lot of fun. You know, you'd you'd be sitting there working in the dark room, kind of concentrating, trying to trying to get stuff done. Maybe decide which which image you liked better to give to the desk. And reporters who wouldn't have anything to do, or they'd you know be be done for a few minutes. You know, they would they would try and sneak out of the newsroom because if you're sitting around not doing anything, you get put to work. So we constantly had people coming in and hanging out with us you know they would come in hey what's going on you doing anything it's like yeah i'm working <laughs> or they would just like hop themselves up on the counter and like start chatting away and you're going like shit <laughs> i'm trying to get stuff done here man but you know of, of course you kind of get into the banter of it you know the music is playing always had music playing in the dark room and you had good conversations going and you know you you know the other photographer comes in he's got stuff to do and now there's three of you and then you hear the you hear the metal rotating door turn and another person is coming is like oh my god <laughs> it, it, sounds so so, it was it was it was it was fun it yeah, sounds it to me fun. like it was some sort of social meetup to your dark room it, it was it was it was it was like the hideaway <laughs> and just about everybody would eventually end up there you know for mm just you know one reason or another and they would they would come like with a little bit of business and then they would hang out for 15 20 minutes did you print at home as well no not not during the newspaper days in the newspaper days i didn't ha even have a dark room at home right okay i just uh everything was at work and if i wanted if i needed to print stuff for myself i would just stay late i would stay at the paper till two three in the morning and just you know crank out my own stuff I want to get onto your your days, what they were like as a photojournalist. How many assignments you would receive? What what the hours were like? I'm imagining it's not nine to five. Well, I'm hoping it's not really because I'm back <laughs> to my romantic notion of thinking that as a photographer, you are on call twenty four seven. Right. Those calls didn't come too often, but they came occasionally, and you know that was from the newsroom listening to the scanner and something big was going down, so you got to call at home. You know, hey, we need you to go up such and such place. 
my day was uh, always long. I, I started, my shift started at 1.30 in the afternoon. Right. And I would never, I, I don't think I ever left at 9.30. I think the earliest mm-hmm. I may have gotten out of there was was, was 10.30. You know, typ- <laughs> typically I, I it was midnight. Yeah. You know, the last deadline for the press was 11.30. You know, I was almost always there until that time. There was an excitement, wasn't there, about putting a paper to bed, as they call it? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And, you, and you want to be there. You don't. You don't want to miss that bit. Yeah, yeah. And if you had, you know, if you stayed late enough, and you had, you had something uh, that you were looking forward to seeing published come out, you would, you would just wait yeah, and actually go yeah. back to the first press runs yeah. and you know take take the newspaper right off the right off the press. It, yeah. was, it was fantastic. Well I, I've heard it likened to um taking a uh, hot bread out the oven as a baker. It was you know <laughs> if you were there and, and I remember this from working in newspapers, albeit not in the ph- photographic side of it originally uh, of actually being there watching a paper come down the run and saying, I want that, that's my one, like a new hot bread roll. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They actually are a little bit warm and the ink is still a little damp, you know, and you you reach, they're all, you know, they're all coming off the back deck and they're they're folded and they've, they've got a single fold in them, you know, they've, mm. they've been folded halfway. Mm. And you see, you just reach in and you you, you pull one out and, you know the, the press is running it's loud mm. everybody's got their earmuffs on <laughs> and just pull your your paper out of this out, out of the, the feed there and you open it up and, and you look and it's like all oh, right that's great yeah did you enjoy being a, a photographer for for I news loved it. yeah the people that you work with because i think people in press can be quite tempestuous can't they some of them can i yeah I, when the, the first newspaper i worked for was a was a kind of a bunch of old guys but they were actually a lot of fun i had i i had a a blast hanging out with those guys and that was the that was back in the day when some of these guys would actually keep a bottle you know in their bottom desk drawer (laughs) and 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 they would you know they would they would tuck it into something and come up to the dark room and start taking swigs like oh my god (laughs) what's going on in in three-hour lunches Holy cow. Crazy, mm. crazy days. I'm glad I got to experience a little bit of that. I've talked to a bit of late about how the relationship um, is between the public and um, and those making pictures. Now, it seems to me there's a bit of a divide across the Atlantic here in that, and I'd always thought, I'd presumed that the press in the UK and Europe had total access to everything. But it seems uh, from photojournalists that they don't agree with that, that you talk to a photojournalist in America and they'll say, yeah, people get it here. They know what freedom of the press is about and we have it. And if we want to walk on, particularly during this moment of, of COVID, if we want to move on to a ward and, and make pictures of, of what it's really like, we can. Whereas in the UK, it was very much, well, if you're the BBC, maybe you can come in. But otherwise, no thanks, not today. Yeah, we had we had a lot of freedom. A lot of it was was about connections. It was about knowing people, and that's where a lot of the access came from. It was like you you know either through the writers, 
getting access for us as photographers or just having our own relationships with, uh, you know, you, you get to know all the cops in town. You get to know a lot of the firefighters. You get to know the, you know, the city government, the mayor, the council members, does the it supervisors. Still, does it still work that way, do you think? That people will say, all right, I need, I need this story out there. I'll, I'll just quietly call Dennis. Well, I, I don't know that it really, I, th- I think sometimes it worked that way. You know, that was usually more on the, the feature end of it. Like, hey, you know, why don't we try and promote this a little bit? And they would typically get in touch with whatever reporter was covering the beat. And then the, the reporter would assign assignments to us in the photography department. We didn't, the, the photo department, we didn't generate too many stories unless it was a, uh, a photographic story a picture page or something like that. But from what you know about how the press works, and you do, do you think even today, you know, because you still know people in that industry and you've still worked in that industry, do do you think there's a greater access in America than what you hear outside the country? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think we have tremendous access here here in the States. And I think, I don't think that has changed too much. I think some people are probably trying to change it more now. But it's, it's just, we've had that freedom of access for so long. I think it's, I think it's pretty hard to change. The, the only times when, you know, I would really be denied access was when it was something that just, you know, people really probably didn't want to see. And frankly, after a while, I didn't want to see it either. And, and so when I showed up on a scene, like a, a crime scene or something like that, and the cops would say, hey, man, you know, we'd prefer if you don't shoot this. You know, I'd kind of say, well, what's going on? They'd fill me in. I was go like, you know what? I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stay back here and just get some overall mm-hmm. pictures of, of what the scene looks like. And our sincere thanks to Dennis Lee, one of our Friends of the Show interviews. And if you have a story about your photographic life, then we'd love to hear from you as well. Write to us, click at fujicast.co.uk and either myself or Kev could be having a chatter with you. Just before we get back to your mails and questions, over on Photography Daily this week, there's a bonus interview today. So after and only after you've listened here, head on over for part two of my chat with Jason P. Howe. In part one last week, Jason shared how he went from working in a camera shop to working in Colombia learning how to photograph a a long and very violent civil war as he goes along. He goes on to become one of the most respected modern-day photojournalists, and in part two, he talks about working in the Middle East and the difference 7,500 miles made to the way he worked and what he found. We ended up in a situation where you weren't really safe to stay in any location for more than about 15 minutes at a time. And so you would have a security detail and a two-vehicle convoy, and, you know, armoured BMWs. And until relatively recently, loud bangs, it always takes a moment for my mind to tell me that it's a safe thing. And I remember saying to myself, if I get out of this, I'm going to take a break. And on Wednesday, a gentle story of shooting landscape stories with John Brockless. That's over on Photography Daily, available wherever you get your podcasts and at photographydaily.show. Oh, and while I remember, um, there's a good Fujifilm connection in the uh, in the show today, the one the one that's on Photography Daily with Jason P. Howe. As he talks about the camera, he uh, he's, he's, he's started to use now that life isn't so, uh, so war-led, so conflict-led. So uh, a, a nice Fujifilm connection there. Right. 
Back to the questions. Kev, you're from the, the Facebook there. Okay, this is one from a couple of months ago, actually, from uh, Michael Gilman. And uh, he says, hello, Kevin. Hello, Neil. I was just curious if either of you use any of the Instax printers at weddings. Mm. Uh, if so, in what interesting ways might you use them? I found them to be quite handy. I was just wondering if either of you utilise them from time to time in your workflow. Well, we did. Cheers, Mike. Yeah, we did. We, you did. Um, I, I, I used them for a little while. Mm. And I, I, I must admit, though, I copied you, Kev. I just thought it was quite nice when we went to that one where I was filming you and you presented some prints, didn't you, to the to the bride? And they, I thought they quite... Did they quite enjoy them? <laughs> Oh, no. Actually, you got brushed aside, didn't you? <laughs> On that particular occasion where we were making the documentary for Fujifilm, <laughs> I, I'd gone to this point of uh, printing them out and you, you filmed had, it and yeah. did it all creatively and yeah. I took them over to the table yeah. while they were having their meal yeah. and I said, oh, I've just done this, you know, just just a thing. And, uh, and the guy went, oh, I hope I look better in the real pictures. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Okay, well... All right, when I, I copied you from that, and it worked quite well, and, and uh, they were oh, look at that. And I, I thought it was quite a nice idea. But um, I think like all those things, when you print stuff at weddings, it seems a really good idea. Then it becomes just something extra in a day that you have to do where you think, oh, God, do that. Oh, no. And, and, and even though it's really easy to do on those printers, it just it still becomes something else to think about, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, I have done it quite a few times, I have to say, but yeah. it, it's always been at weddings where there's been plenty of time during the break for me to, to think about it. Uh, and of course, you, you have to scroll back through all of your images on your phone. You've got to find one that you think is, is reasonable. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to edit it in the camera. You then send it to the phone, you then, which then sends it to the printer. Um, you, you know, and... and yeah, I just, at one point I did go through a phase of taking a little mini book. I, I used to buy these little mini um, Instax books, yeah. and you'd print out ten, and you'd give them this little book. So it looked it looked very very cool. But yeah, I kind of uh, I kind of stopped doing it. It, it. It's it's the scrolling through because now I just shoot with one memory card. Yeah, you've got to scroll. There's a lot of scrolling to get get back to like the the. the the first kiss or the walking down the aisle pictures. Am I right? By the time by the time the wedding breakfast happens, it's about six oh, hours later. And and also, it only works with the JPEGs, doesn't it? You can't send across a RAW, of course. No. So, or you can edit the RAW in the camera, create a JPEG from it. Yeah, and yeah. and do it that way. Just another layer, then, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it? it is. It is. It is added work for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I mean. That's what they're for. If you if you've got the inclination and you, and you don't, I, you know, I like when it comes to the wedding breakfast time. I I, I do like to to switch off a little bit, yeah. you know, because by then you've you've probably been pretty pretty brutally working for six seven hours. Yeah, um, you do need to break. I don't think we've ever done this before, but a couple of things have just popped up on my phone while 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 the podcast is going on. One was a, a messenger uh, message from Joe Jocelyn, who said, "Whoops, just ordered an XH one to tide me over." I'm mentioning that because it just sounds like the best excuse, doesn't it? I, I just needed one to tide me over. What do you mean, tide me over? <laughs> but another one's come up from, uh, it's a, a tweet, this one, from Sean Tuck. Uh, Sean Tucker, uh, if you <laughs> elongate it. There must be another Sean Tucker on there. Moving out to the countryside this year has be, been good for the soul. It's impossible not to feel better after a walk through places like this. And then he's put a picture up. And it's, the reason I'm mentioning it is because there's been a lot of conversation over the past uh, week or two in particular about the future of Instagram. And I remember Sean Tucker saying in particular that he uh, was using, and it clearly is here, using Twitter more now to use that as his, as his photographic sharing base. 
What's mm. your thoughts about that, Kev? Because I've noticed a bit more of it, and I quite like the way the algorithm works, and I see the people that I follow and I'm most interested in. It's, work, it's worked out the ones that I want to see instead of just, you know, another advert, which seems to be the way with Instagram right now. That's a bit of a flippant so, sort of generalisation. But Well, uh, a couple of thoughts on that. I have never, ever been delivered an Instagram advert, ever. Yeah, you say this, and I don't know how that has happened to you. I, I've, I've no idea. Because that's not Never. that's not what that's not the experience of I would almost say everyone listening. Well, you just if you go into your Facebook settings, you can switch them off. Um, that's what I did, and I don't get any Instagram adverts. I tried. And we that. did talk I, about this. I, I tried. No, I tried it, and it doesn't work. I put a <laughs> post on the Facebook on the um, foodcast.co.uk page. Maybe, maybe it worked when you initially set it up, Kevin. You've escaped underneath the barriers. Maybe underneath maybe. the I wires. Uh, maybe it's something to do with. I don't know, follow count or so. I really don't know. But anyway, I have no no um, adverts. Right. But that aside, so Twitter for me is business to business um, tool. Um, I like Twitter. Uh, I, I do engage with it. Uh, it's not somewhere where I would expect to get weddings. For me, it's business to business relationship. Mm. So, um, you That's, know, I'll... Yeah. I'll Mm. kind of my Fujifilm relationships and my uh, relationships with venues, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I wouldn't go onto Twitter and um, post a, a picture of a wedding, for example. I would do that on Instagram. And, and yes, there's been quite a lot of um, you know stuff this week about Instagram trying to become the new tickety talk. Whatever. If it does, people have to change. Something else will come along. Stop stressing about it. Don't yeah. worry. Well, I've just seen another one pop up from Chris Howe. Creators are ditching Instagram. Why you should be worried. I know that's, that's clickbait in many respects. Good but God. But... Uh, I mean, seriously, yeah. why why do people use things? That, why you should be worried? That just annoys me. Does it? Because all that is doing is just putting the fear into people yeah. for no reason. Nobody should be worried. If Instagram dropped off the world, off the planet tomorrow, my God... Worry about feeding your kids. Worry about COVID. Don't you don't need to worry about stuff like that. Something else will will. It's like water. Social media is like water. As soon as there's a space, another bit of water will get in there instantly. Stop worrying about it. Don't fret. Well, um, yeah, although it has been quite useful to you. I mean, you said to me maybe privately the other day. Perhaps I shouldn't repeat this, but you said to me that in Instagram is now driving your business more than it ever was. Yeah, I, I do get quite a lot of bookings via, via Instagram, or they find me on Instagram. Yeah. Um, but I'm not worried. No. So there you go. And I'm, you know, maybe I should be worried. Who knows? I, but I'm, I don't. Listen, we all existed before these things came along. Yeah, no, but it, it, yeah. it is. <laughs> but that's, that's all very well. It's a bit like, yeah. But but it's it's a tool that we now use. And that's why I think people are a little bit uh, nervous of, of change. Maybe it's time. You, you're right. Something fills the void, doesn't it? See a need, fill a need. Maybe it's time for a Mullinsgram. You know, if people are looking on Instagram for wedding photographers and then yeah. suddenly they can't find them because Instagram has turned into tickety talk and it's full of, you know, teenage girls doing hula hooping or something, then they'll stop looking for wedding photographers there. They'll start looking elsewhere. Yeah. And that's where you'll go. Have you never thought about doing a bit of hula hooping on tickety talk? Oh, I do loads of it. Yeah, but I'm not on tickety talk. I do it privately. There's a special website, Kev's tickety, uh, Kev's, Kev's tickety talk hula hooping.com. Oh, I'm tapping it in now. Oh, amazing. Look at him. What do you think, Bokeh Chicken? He does look a bit weird. You're absolutely right. 
I've had to buy especially big hula hoops recently. <laughs> How is that diet going, Kev? <laughs> golden Wonder hula hoops. Brilliant. <laughs> golden Wonder hula hoops. What's your flavour? Oh, I, I tell you what, cheese and chives for me every single time. Uh, yeah, me too. Cheese right, and onion crisps. Cheese and onion. Oh, cheese and onion, yeah. Oh, lovely. Right, I think we've got time for one more before we do books. From the Facebook group. So, from the Facebook group, uh, that's my Facebook scrolling noise. Uh, oh, this looks very complicated, though. Uh, Daryl Walters, dye sublimination printing. <laughs> Shall I carry on? Pardon? <laughs> uh, I, I would love to get into printing, but it would only be occasional, and I fear that inks may dry out in times of less use. Would you be able to recommend a dye sublimination printer that can print around A4 size? I uh, love the show, but it takes me 47 minutes to walk 5K. So can you limit the show to 47 minutes or 94 <laughs> minutes? Then I can listen to it over two days of walks. Uh, only joking. 47 minutes in 5K, that's good. That's not bad. That's practically running, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how long it takes me to run it. Yeah, easily. <laughs> well, speaking as the, uh, as the world authority on dye sublimation printing, I'd send it to Loxley. <laughs> which is not the answer i know yeah i i mean that whole like that whole thing about the inks around there both you and i have had oh, expensive God. printers in the past that have sat on our desks and you've got to use them and then the ink is all dried up and you've got to pay another 300 pounds for a set of inks yeah yeah i've, I've kind of avoided that's that's gone now i don't even have an office printer anymore when i did the move i ditched my office printer i gave it to to my father-in-law because I, I thought that would save me printing things, which is good for the well, environment. It's very good for the environment, but there are the occasional things you need to print out, aren't there? Can well, I do realise that right now, because I'm thinking I have to print my notes for the wedding tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And I can't. <laughs> I can't. I've got nothing to print them on. So that it will be on my phone, little tiny PDF. I'll be squinting at it throughout the day. Yeah. Um, they'll think that, that that's not good, though, Kev, because they'll think, oh, look at that photographer. He's just texting people. No, well, all I need to know, all I need is the address. There's nothing else on the notes that I need to know well, about. What about so. all those long notes about the, the, uh, the group shots? The group shots, yeah, <laughs> of course I need that. I've got that in a separate, separate app. It's called the app of hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kev, you're terrible. Yeah, so die, die, no, it's the answer. I can't recommend one because I don't have one. No. Um, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad we answered your question. We avoid, <laughs> avoid. What I would say is avoid. Um, like I had the Canon Pixma something or other. It was an yeah. eight tank printer, oh. and it was amazing. Honestly, yeah, the black nice, and whites. Yeah. It was A3, yeah. A3 plus actually. I think it was. Uh, the black and whites were to die for. It was yeah. a beautiful, beautiful printer, but it cost. Like the printer may have cost. I don't know, eight hundred pounds, maybe more. Could have yeah. been sixteen hundred. Don't know. But then the inks were maybe three hundred pounds a pop. Yeah. And they would just dry up. That's just dry up. I'm just trying to look at the one that I had an Epson one, which was really good. It was fantastic. Now oh, I can't find the number of it, and and it was quite old. So actually, it's, it's a long time ago that it would have it would have been it would have been produced a long time ago. But that that was really good. But you're right. I mean, it was it was just I was pouring money into that thing, and unless you really want to do it quite often, I should say that right now in my studio I do have a. Fujifilm Frontier DE1000 100 printer right. that I have on loan for a few months and um, it's still in its box because it's big and reasonably heavy so I will be I will be setting that up next week and yeah. then maybe I'll be able to have uh, give you more of a, an informed answer so ask me the same question next week but that yeah so Fujifilm obviously do it they're quite expensive these printers two and a half grand but you know these are the, the kind of pro 
pro printers that you might find in a uh, a lab like a boots or somebody might use these or you might find them at very at high-end um events evening events where they're doing printing on on site have you not um, thought about um, throwing the box away yet? <laughs> well, they, actually, that's a really funny thing. When the guy delivered it, bearing in mind it's on loan from Fujifilm, they, yeah. Yeah, I've got it for three months. So the guy turned up and uh, he brought he, he brought it into the studio and he put it down and he said, uh, I've got to take the box back. <laughs> I said, what? He said, no, they've told me I've got to take the box back. <laughs> that was- I don't know. I have no idea. This might be Andreas saying... Saying, don't leave the box with Mullins because he'll just chuck it out. So <laughs> he, he took is. the box. Did he? he? Actually, the delivery man took the box away with him. I wonder if that's policy because they're saying if you've got the box, you might sell it because it'll it'll look like it's 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 more I, interesting I, I, as, as as a kind of completely boxed new product. Part of me is hoping that it's because they are reusing them for no. um, environmental purposes, yeah. rather than just leaving it with people who are who are probably just going to either chuck it out or recycle it. But <laughs> but secretly, uh, I'm kind of thinking that maybe Andreas, who sent it to me, is thinking, "Don't not leave that box with yeah. Mullins." <laughs> I think that I think that's exactly what's going on. Don't leave the box with Mullins. Right, um, book of the week. Then what are we? I mean, this, this, oh. your book of the week this week. They get bigger each week. You make them sound like they get bigger each week. Anyway, uh, this is a big book. Yeah, oh. this is a really beautiful hardback um, book in the shadow of Cleve Hill. Do you know where Cleve Hill is? No, I don't. Oh, do you know what's in the shadow of Cleve Hill? No, I don't even know what Cleve, where Cleve Hill is. Cheltenham, Cheltenham Racecourse oh. in the shadow of Cleve Hill. It's a place you know very well then. I do know Cheltenham Racecourse oh. reasonably well. Um, so this is the uh, autobiography of Bernard Parkin. So it's autobiographical oh. as well as a photographical. Uh, and he <laughs> was a, well, it is still a photographer, but also an artist. So there's a lot of beautiful art and stuff in here. Bernard Parkin's daughter was Albie's teacher in school. No way. There we go. Yes, which we've only just kind of connected these dots. Uh, and the description on the book is, award-winning racing photographer Bernard Parkin details his life and career spanning several decades, including becoming the first person in his profession to hold royal warrants of appointment to both the Queen Mother and the Queen. See, that would look good. Yeah, that would look good above your fireplace, wouldn't it? Yeah. This lavishly illustrated work will be of great interest to racing enthusiasts and followers of royalty alike. Bernard Parkin is one of racing's most respected photographers. He has a wealth of memories and a library of many thousands of photographs of the thoroughbred racehorses, over, uh, both over fences and the flat. Yeah. Uh, the pages of this fascinating book are crammed full of fun, excitement and uncanny coincidences. Um, and they are. It's a. It's really. It's only. It's fresh off the press. I think it was published last week. Oh right. Brand new. Um, right. So it's there's you know it's text heavy, but that's great because it's 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 his story. I think he's 91 now. Mm. Um, and I was speaking to his daughter last week actually in the coffee shop, and she was saying that he you know he never Bernard never really um, moved to digital when film when film migrated to digital mm. it just wasn't for him so he stayed with it and there's some amazing really amazing photographs that, that only only people who are in that inner circle can kind of get these these images there's a lot of um you know racing images of actually horses jumping and and you know and, and going through the hoops and everything but there's a lot of kind of behind the scenes private images that are really interesting and uh, you know the the actual book itself is is kind of broken down into chapters and and uh, I, I like the titles of some of the of the the chapters are quite interesting. So this one, for example, chapter ten is uh, Spyrex Arco Limited: the intrigue of its HQ and the fascinating history of the factory office, uh, and that just kind of leaves you leads you into the story and, and then the images of that. It's a vertical uh, book. Nice. There we go. So chapter fifteen. 
Uh, first Royal Commission, learning from mistakes, the wearing of unusual livery and Oaksy House. Oaksy House, you know Oaksy House. No, mm. I know Oaksy House. I don't People know Oaksy House. No, Oaksie I don't know Oaksy House. It's really interesting because there's there's some elements where it, it, it's you know mostly about the horse racing and photography, but then there's this really uh, on page one five nine. I've just dipped into it. It, it says uh, it's always fun to mix photography and drawings together, and this snowdrift over the last fence of Presbury Park presented the ideal opportunity. So there's a photograph of uh, one of the fences at, at this race course that's covered in snow, proper deep snow. Uh, in fact, when I first looked at it, I thought it was a chalet, but it's not. It's a it's a race. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's he's sketched over um racing jockeys in in ski uniform in um, ski outfits with skis um <laughs> so you know a proper talent really proper talented and the the photos themselves are if you're not into horse racing then uh, perhaps you, you you know you might not be overly interested in the, the pictures themselves but they are good pictures they're very good pictures they're beautiful pictures but it's the stories behind them that really make this this book kind of stand out and if you've ever been to cheltenham or you know that area then you know there's going to be a lot of anecdotes and a lot of kind of um quips in here that will will, will kind of make you make you remember stuff there's some wonderful page 194 this image is titled play school and paul nichols and Paul Nichols, of course, was was a very famous um, jockey on the gallops of Woodbarton. Uh, winners of 1987 Hennessy Gold Cup and 1987 Coral the Welsh National and the 1988 Vincent O'Brien Gold Cup at Leopardstown. Mm. Uh, and it's a beautiful picture of this huge, huge pony or horse. You shouldn't call them ponies. Pony? Pony, uh, Kev? I know. <laughs> uh, and with uh, Paul Nichols sat on it. Yeah. And uh, the horse is kind of... Paul Nichols is looking straightforward. It's a portrait rather than a, a racing shot. Yeah. And the horse is just glancing his head and giving this kind of sly look mm-hmm. at uh, Bernard, who's taking this photograph. Uh, and it's wonderful because you normally, when you normally see these types of images, it's yeah, there's like a quirk to it, I suppose. It's just slightly different to, to the norm. Yeah, it's really, really lovely book. And it's one that I've been, I've actually been reading, you know, re- actually reading the um, the stories and everything in there. And it's it's one of honestly it's it's not something perhaps that you're going to um, learn any lessons of about photography from because it's not an educational book like that, no. um, but it's really useful and interesting in in the life, you know, the life of a proper working, hardworking no. um, professional photographer. Okay, granted in a niche industry, but over a period of what seventy years. This is uh, this is a life's body of work oh, put down yeah. in, you know, in in three hundred pages. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really important that people like Bernard are doing this, putting autobiographies together rather than just necessary. Uh, uh, you know, here's a load of my photos, mm. here's my thoughts, and here's my life. And uh, you know, I think it's yeah, it's lovely. You won't be able to. Well, perhaps in the near future you'll be able to, but right now you won't be able to uh, find it on. Amazon, but you can get it from places like um, Pitch Publishing, I think. Um, I just found it on the internet. There we go. Uh, Yeah, pitchpublishing.co.uk. £30 hardback book. Um, Yeah, really nice. Really nice. There's a wonderful picture on the back of of Bernard with his, uh, you know, he's got the the cravat, he's got the the (laughs) tails on, everything. And then he's got three... Uh, three cameras around his neck, one long lens, one one short, one wide, um, you know, and, and and for all intents and purposes, he looks just like any other professional photographer, yeah. you know, looking for this shot. But of course, because of the world he's in, he's uh, he's fully suited and booted. Brilliant. Of course, yeah, you have really to be nice. very very trusted in that world, uh, don't, yeah. don't you really? They don't just let any old Mullins and James in, do they? Um, I remember going to Newbury Racecourse to do some commercial photography, and I thought... And I was there on a, on a race day, 
And uh, I thought, oh, I'll be able to get into there and there. And the oh no, no way, no way. I, I was, no. I wasn't allowed near any what I would call the interesting stuff. <laughs> I could only get in with the caterers and people, are, which, to be fair, was what I was commissioned to do. But I was hoping to get a lot more of the story of the day. What would you think if somebody described you? What mm. would they in? Uh, I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. You've got eighteen to twenty words to mm. describe you. Oh God, Kevin! I don't know. Um, I suppose uh, I'll have to uh, quote from my school uh, report. Could could do better. I don't know, Kev. What? What would they say? Uh, I don't know. But it was a, that was a that was a, an unfair question. But on the back of Bernard's book, it says, <laughs> "Artist, writer, and official uh, official racing photographer to the yeah. Queen, the Queen Mother, and Ascot and Cheltenham Racecourse." Well, I don't, I don't think mine would look quite as good as that. Yeah, <laughs> what would they say about you, Kev? In eighteen words, uh, short, <laughs> big fatter, eye, big eyebrows, big eyebrows, pointy <laughs> eyebrows, a uh, little bit grumpy. Yeah, <laughs> you're running Christ. out of words. Um. um yeah, I've run words. Yeah, so that's that's it. So that's the book, um, In the Shadow of Cleve Hill, the autobiography of Bernard Parkin, ah, uh, royal racing yeah. photographer. We will, of course, link to it and uh, some pictures and stuff like that if I can find any on our show notes. Perfect. And I, I like the idea, Kev, um, the, the, of a book that's about the thoughts and inner workings, if you will, of a photographic mind. And, and, though, uh, and though it's not autobiographical in the same sense, Henri Cartier-Bresson's The, the Mind's Eye is similar, the, the book that introduced me to the concept of the, uh, as, uh, of the camera as a sketchbook. Or was it pad? No, it was book, wasn't it? Right, questions. Uh, Mark Dell just sort of aimed at me to start with then it's everybody about time you got the V I have to say it's uh, been a brilliant camera so far so we're talking about the X100V and a pinnacle of Fuji's attention to detail and build quality um, hurrah I say yes I was listening to the comments a commenter had made about the monochromatic V sensor I wish to add my voice make one Fuji make one it doesn't matter how you try, you just can't beat a true monochromatic sensor output. I think Fujifilm, he says Fuji, but I'm, I'm filling in the rest, uh, have perhaps underestimated the interest in such a camera system. Perhaps they should put a poll up sometime on their website, or maybe you should on yours. Best wishes, enjoy from Mark Dell. Um, I had coffee the other day with Jeremy Baker, and he has, um, he has a GFX, which he had converted to a monochromatic sensor. Um, somebody, I think somebody did it in America for him. I don't think it's a GFX. It's no, it is. Pro, isn't it? It is. I, I, was, I know. I knew he had a, 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 an X Pro converted. No, it's, I didn't know he had a GFX because I put my X one hundred V next to it, and it and uh, obviously swamped in size by this thing. It's a monochromatic GFX, but it doesn't. Yeah, you can get them converted. You can yeah. get it converted. You have to remember to to, to stick the machine on uh, on uh, monochrome setting, otherwise. You get a pink rendition if it's if it's in colour. Yeah. Well, uh, to, to go back to Mark's question about uh, Fujifilm thinking about it, yeah, I know they have thought about it, and I know that some very, very kind of powerful people in the Fujifilm ecosystem would love to do one. Yeah. But believe me, they will have researched it. They will they will know whether it would be viable, whether the cost of it would be worth the um, uh, the manufacturing um, cost of it would be worth the sales. Yeah. Uh, and just like just because we want one. You know these things; they need to sell tens and tens of thousands 
for them to justify the R&D. It would be a brand new sensor. It wouldn't just be a disabled sensor. It would be a brand new sensor. I don't think Sony, who supply Fujifilm sensors, create a monochrome sensor. I uh, might be wrong, but I don't think so. So it would have to be sourced elsewhere. There would be a huge cost in something like that. And, you know, for what, how many... It is a quite a niche thing, mm. an X100 with a monochrome sensor. I would love it, and I know lots of other people would, but I don't think there's enough of them. I mean, I know Leica have their monochrome, uh, mm. and it's a really good camera, yeah. but you are looking at a very different client base, aren't you? Yeah. How many people do you know have a, a monochrome Leica? Mm, couple. A couple? Yeah. Yeah, a couple, exactly. A couple isn't going to do it, is it? Uh no, no, I, I don't suppose. But uh, but of course, we're talking about a product that I would imagine be priced in an entirely different fashion, which would present far less of a, a barrier to purchase. And, and oddly, you know, I think this might tempt a lot of folks in who love the idea of the red dot monochrome, but just can't imagine dropping that much cash on a camera. And who knows, Kev, maybe maybe a few like a devotees would be tempted to try as well, because they, they have a much smaller market share after all with that camera, don't they? Even amongst their own. Yeah, they have a much smaller market share and charge a lot more for it. You know, that's that's their business model. And mm-hmm. that's it's worked for them amazingly well. They have very loyal, uh, loyal users, you know, and... Uh, pff- I mean, I would love, I would absolutely adore for Fujifilm to do it. Yeah. And, and you know, even if it was like an anniversary edition or something that they charged a premium for, and if you could afford it, great. If you can't, tough. Yeah. Um, I think they would sell a few, but I really don't think they could do mainstream. Um, and, the, and I'm only basing that on the fact that I think they would have done it already because the X100 has been street photographer's choice for a long time now, 10 years. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of X100s being sold to street photographers. And, uh, you know, the, if they'd have thought it was economically viable, then I think they would have done it. But I, I, alas, I, I, I think, so. think people that buy X100 cameras are quite a discerning bunch in, in that this is a camera pros like to use, even if they're not invested in Fujifilm. I, I know a number of photojournalists who have one alongside their other brands of, of favour. And if you, if you don't get paid for your pictures, I think of the X100, Kev, as an aspirational camera in the lineup for many. It's, it's, not, it's not the gateway, is it? Like, um, well, I, I don't know, Kev. What, what, would, what would be a more familiar gateway Fujifilm camera? Uh, X30. X30. XT30, maybe, yeah. yeah I mean, so so therefore, I'm I'm thinking, I'm just I'm sort of paddling around the pond a bit with this one, but but an X100, for example, I know that you 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 like you you keep all your X100s, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people that have had X100s, they they sort of fall in love. It's not just a gateway camera. This is this is a camera that people fall in love with and uh, and look forward to the next. The next version of it and and this i think you know i agree with mark i think this this would have quite a uh, quite a um quite a base to start with yeah uh, the x100 is definitely not a gateway camera though no. by the way because it's quite an expensive camera yeah the, you know the, the earlier the xt30 and uh, xe range is probably more of a gateway camera but the yeah i mean don't get me wrong i think there will be there would be some people who would who'd be all over it i just don't think there would be enough hmm I'm up, I hope I'm wrong. Not enough people would buy it. I think so. Yeah. Um, oh, that's it. That, that music coming mean uh, it, it means it's time, gentlemen and ladies, um, and everybody else, and bouquet chickens. Uh, and that's it for another week. Um, God, don't these programmes fly past quickly, Mullins? 
You um, do indeed. They do. Um, if you've liked this week's show, uh, thank you. And if you can, uh, and we haven't asked for a while, if you can leave a review, if you feel it's relevant and nice, <laughs> we'd love you. We'd love you to do that. If you can share the episode on Twitter or on Facebook, you are an absolute star. Or As on a, Instagram. Or on Insta. Or on Instagram. Yes, Don't of course. Don't forget it. It's <laughs> not dead yet. Yeah, no, it's not. You're quite right. And uh, also, we also must. Sorry to interrupt. We must. Um, uh, we've forgotten about the patrons again. Mm. Um, we're very, very British in that respect. But also, I've forgotten massively about the Instagram print swap. <laughs> oh God, Kev, that was weeks ago. Yeah, Should we sort I, it out for it. next week and then forget it oh, again? I don't think I'll have time to do it for next week, but <laughs> it's on my to-do list, honestly. Right. It's, it's right. number, hang on, Some. it's got four numbers in front of it. <laughs> it will get done, don't worry. Uh, in the meantime, uh, can we ask you if, you, if you'd like to send in questions, thoughts and stuff like that, then do so. There's two ways to do it. You can either send it in uh, via email. Uh, to click at fujicast.co.uk or you can send it to Facebook or you can put it on Facebook rather um, which is where you draw you draw your questions from Facebook don't you Kevin Bunker Malmesbury there Mm. and I I draw mine from the the emails so send your questions in Um, Music is from Blue Wednesday we're supporting music from the incredible artlist.io and uh, we will see you next week bye Kev bye bye the Fujicast is an independent loading zone production email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way